Built Not Born, episode 31. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made an impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jujitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Phil Miglarese. Phil Miglarese is the co-owner of Balance Studios and Ryzen Metrics, located in Philadelphia. Phil is a six-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the legendary instructor, Helson Gracie. On the podcast today, Phil and I discuss how a car accident just two days after he turned 17 changed the course of his life. Phil discusses how he discovered Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and what it was like moving out to Los Angeles to train directly under the legendary Gracie family. Phil also discusses how he decided to move out to India and training with the founder of Ashtanga Yoga, Patapi Joyce. Phil walks us through what it was like to open up his first Jiu-Jitsu Academy, Balance Studios, back in 2002 at the age of 26 and being flat broke. Phil also shares a funny story of what it's like to drink watermelon juice while getting chopped in the throat by Elio Gracie and why Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is more than just a set of techniques. It's a mindset and a lifestyle that will lead its practitioners to their own personal definition of success. I've been fortunate to learn and train under Phil for over 20 years. He is an amazing instructor. He has such a diverse background. He's one of the more fascinating people you will meet. So I was so excited when he decided to come onto the show. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Phil Miglarese, co-owner of Balance Studios, Ryzen Metrics, strategist, entrepreneur, yoga master, and remember, life is built, not born. Phil Miglarese, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? That's the difficult one. Phil Miglarese, born in Philly, my own balance studios, it's a jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai chain of schools. And I own a, uh, I should say I'm co-founder of each. And I'm also a co-owner of uh, Ryzen Metrics, digital marketing agency between Philadelphia, New York City, and Scranton, PA. I want to get into jujitsu, mm-hmm. yoga, Ryzen Metrics, and all the other really cool stuff you got going on. But before we do, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Philly, right on 2nd and South. And it was an interesting neighborhood. I, uh, it's actually how I got started in yoga. I picked up yoga in grade school. I went to a Quaker school, friend school. And I was about eight years old. And the gym teacher taught some yoga. And it just so happened that in my neighborhood where I grew up, there were two yoga foundations. I remember, this is a long time ago. No, no yoga then. And so I got lucky. So a few blocks from my house was actually a yoga studio. It was like the only one in the city or, or a handful. Yeah. So I grew up in Philly and then traveled the world for the things that I fell in love with. I find 10 years old, right around that time frame, a very formative time in people's lives. 
What was it like around the dinner table when you were around, say, 10 years old? Who was there? What's going on? Describe the scene. Yeah, it was me, my brother, Ricardo, my mom, my dad. And dinners were interesting because it's obviously the time to catch up during the day. There was no getting up from the table and running away. No screens at that time. No phone. We were chatting. My dad was very business oriented. So he would chat a little bit about that with us and raising us as little business owners. And it was about eating and catching up with the family. Looking back at that time, what's the most powerful memory of your childhood? What would you consider childhood? Before you left the house. What's interesting about me, I was out of my house at 12, 13, because I grew up in Philly. And then I did the summers in uh, with my grandmother in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. I actually went to high school out in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. I graduated high school early. I was 17. So I, I was out there when I was like 12, 13 in high school. So it's interesting. I, my parents divorced when I was like 12 or 13. Part of me, I was like, okay, I'm going to get up and go. And I got an offer to live with my grandparents and go to school there in the suburbs. So I went from city to suburbs. And I jumped on it. And I was already friends with the kids in that area, too, because I summered there with my grandfather and grandmother. And I already knew the kids out there. So I ran out to Lawrenceville for high school. So my earliest memory, it's interesting. I grew up around adults. So when I was in the yoga world, I was everyone was older than me. I was a child around adults. And then the jujitsu world was the same thing. From what my mom tells me, too, I was slightly precocious. And I was like... Bored by kids my age <laughs> still that way like all my friends are in their 60s and some 70 and i still hang out with them i'm 46 who was the biggest influence to you when you were a kid oh man it was it, it's hard to single out one because it's very obviously my family my mom and my dad obviously growing up and both for different reasons and I had these, the Gracies were like superheroes to me, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. That was a huge influence. And then other people, because I had other interests too. So I've always been interested in technology. I've always been interested in yoga and Jiu-Jitsu. So it's like, I pulled at an early age, my like idols, if you will, in, in, in a bunch of different areas. That makes sense because I have all these parts. So that's, if I had to establish an I am statement like i am this i am that it's hard because and it's varied because i pull from my i am statement is pulled from different categories am i a yoga guy am i a jujitsu guy am i a digital marketing technology guy what am i all of them yeah so what came first jujitsu or yoga okay so how but before that i was born into a fighting family for 100 years they were my grandfather father and my brother's an amazing boxer so i came from boxing and I was born with my hands up, they say. That's a great picture. I think it might be your grandfather with his hands up, that black and white photo with the yeah, hands. Yeah. They look my like grandpa. oven mitts, like two just massive yeah. oven mitts. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, crazy. he was 5'10. So I'm 6'1, six, 6'2. Six, his hands were the same size as mine. And my brother's <laughs> hands are even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we, that's where we come from, you know? 
And even in Italy, a hundred years ago, I don't know the exact history of what my great grandfather came over here already knowing how to fight, already knowing how to do what was considered like gentleman's boxing at the time. They didn't call it boxing. They did those like backyard bouts. It was interesting. Yeah. So that was my first thing. And then I found yoga in school. So I connected immediately to yoga and the power of that. And then after was jujitsu by the Gracie in action tape. I discovered it and I went to my first class in like 89 or 90 or something. Mm-hmm. And that was jujitsu. And that was like 10 people in Philadelphia it was the first East Coast jujitsu club ever in existence. So how did you first run into Steve Maxwell? I've known Steve since I was born, pretty much. My mom was a aerobics instructor and she worked for Steve and we grew up in gyms. Like literally we grew up running around Society Hill Swim Club was one gym. And that was like in Center City. And uh, yeah, Rick and I like, grew up in gyms. Can you remember the first time your first jujitsu lesson? Oh, yeah. Okay. Where, where was it? Like, who was so it? I, I remember working through moves that we we mimicked from a tape. It wasn't instructional, but it was like Gracie in action show mm-hmm. the Gracies versus every other martial art. And they won. And so we mimicked the winning moves. But as children. And then my first real class or get together, yeah, I remember it vividly because I sparred <laughs> and I went in there and I was sparring with adult men that, you know, weren't nice to me. And I remember being in a headlock and I remember being like smashed and all that sort of stuff. And I just also recall having the best time of my life. I'm like, Man, I love combat. Like I like to fight. <laughs> when did you first run into the Gracies? About a year or two after that. Really? Okay. Where was that? Yeah, I met Hoist, Hoist, Elio Gracie, Horian, and then Helson later. Okay. And then I connected mostly with Helson because of his, he took me under his wing, basically, even as a child. Your training at Maxercise, you were one of the first, say, Americans to go through like the teacher training, right? The Gracie teacher training out in Toronto? Yeah, we were the one of the first and one of the last. So we were the last graduating class of Elio Gracie's life. And our group was special because we were basically handpicked. We were like 12 people handpicked to work with Elio Gracie every day for quite a few years. And he never actually, I don't know if he ever actually had a instructor training that long. They had the instructor courses. This was an ongoing instructor training program where we learn A to Z, how to teach it, how to teach anyone how to run the academy, how to treat people, just everything associated with jujitsu. It was very special. And I don't know if it ever exists. I haven't heard of it, something like this ever again. I don't, it was really a special thing. You started off, you saw Gracie in action tape, then you knew Steve mm-hmm. Maxwell. You started training at Maxercise with adults. How did you go from training at Maxercise and say, you know what, I'm actually going to move across the country? To the Gracie Academy. How did that happen? Well, it took a car accident. So I just turned 17. Two days after that, I got into a car accident. My cousin was driving, turning onto a highway. Someone went through a red light and bashed me on the passenger side. I was the recipient of a giant car, like pow, broke my hips, broke my body, broke my brain. And when I recovered and during my recovery, I made like these declarations and like at my heart, my my deepest skill is as a strategist. I mapped out the rest of my world. I said to myself, like, this yoga thing is new. This jujitsu thing is new in our country. 
and I have a choice to make. Am I going to do it and go against the college model and the the traditional model? Or am I going to just run forward? Because I, I literally like this tech side of me. I wanted to uh, explore tech in any way, but it wasn't like my tech time is actually right now. I'm 46 years old. Everything I ever wanted when I was a teenager is actually happening now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't have a chance to use it as my profession. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what I envisioned my teenage years, it wasn't there, but the jujitsu yoga life and choice of doing it for a living was there, but it wasn't. I wouldn't take any of this, what I'm about to tell you back Mm -hmm. for anything. I worked, I made zero money. I actually spent money to to live and do jujitsu, to live and do yoga. I traveled to India, lived there, traveled to California, lived there to be at the heart of it with the masters. But I spent, you know, all my money and time and I never knew there was no promise of getting anything back. I didn't care. So I was hurt. I was laid up for almost a year before I was able to do anything. And then, and then I just, so I was 17 and I said, you know what, I'm going to get up and go. And I got on a plane at 17 and ran out to the Gracie Academy, went to Hawaii and made some plans for the future, full in the jujitsu life as a competitor, as much as I could because of the injuries. And definitely as an instructor at that time was pioneering because now it's easy. We have the internet. It's easy to find, but then it was not. How long were you living and training at the Gracie Academy for? On and off for 10 years almost. At what point you head out to Hawaii? So you lived it with Helsin out in Hawaii? Uh, Same thing in, in there. So my, my thing is, so I went to Drexel and they had trimesters, which was outstanding because throw was three months in, I would go to school and then three months out of school, I would travel. That's what I did. Since nobody really knew jujitsu while I traveled, I put together like these, I've always been fairly diligent with my notes and I would put together like courses. So when I got back, I had a study, like this was my study of, I don't know, the rear naked choke, let's say. So I would come back to Philly and then I would teach these things, make enough money to put in the bank, to go back out there, to do it again, and just, just repeat that sort of cycle for about 10 years until I opened the school 2002. Mm. So from graduating high school and opening there, it was like a, pretty much like a 10-year period. At what point did you head out to India? Uh, I was a teenager. I was same, around the same time, 18, 19 was my first time. So I spent six months of my life out there, three wow. three months at a time. Yeah. Crazy. So Patabi Joyce was the founder of Ashtanga Yoga. And I don't know. I didn't want to learn from, not that things are watered down. I don't like to use that because sometimes watered down is also improved for different audiences. But he was the real deal. He was the master. And that's why I went to Elio Gracie. And, and even in tech, man, I, I just wanted to be around the people that really did. I, I wanted the authentic sort of feel, even if I had to suffer. So, I'm considered the I'm considered the best intern in the world. <laughs> I was just told that by one of my mentors because I'm like, what do you want me to do? I was like, I don't need any money. I was like, I'll do whatever you need. Let's see. I just want to be around this. Yeah, you know? nah, and that passion. was something that came from my dad. Yeah, but it came from my dad too. Mm-hmm. You, you get your foot in the door by just doing things, not expecting much, and if something happens, great. If it doesn't, you learn. Yeah. Your dad was such a strong presence. I remember him walking through balance. He was the only person that would walk through the door and people would stop rolling to shake his hand. Like he would be on the Literally. mat and he would come in and we would stop rolling and we'd all shake his hand. And then we'd go back to what we were doing. Yeah. 
Such yeah, a- I, I know. Someone else just someone else just said the same exact thing. But yeah, he, had, he my dad definitely had a presence. The room stopped and saw him walk in, and they all acknowledged him, and then they went back to what they're doing. Really cool. <laughs> Life lessons. If you were to summarize your time at the Gracie Academy and in Torrance, what's the lesson there? Synthesize it into a sentence or two. It was a lot of work, man. I worked from seven to seven every day, seven in the morning, seven at night. I didn't. So I had skills in framing, like from. I went to like a commercial art school while I was in high school to learn how to frame pictures and pieces of art. So the only money I made, I really, I was like for one hour a day, one and a half hours, I would go to this framing place during lunch. I wouldn't even eat. I would eat there and then frame, make a couple bucks, go back to the Gracie Academy. So I learned how to work and I learned how to be completely efficient with time. So my, it's my, my thinking time is the most scarce resource on the planet yep. and you use it wisely. I tried to eliminate eating too much food and traveling while I was at the Gracie Academy. So I had to make a couple bucks, but I lived off of savings. Mm-hmm. So I lived with five people out there. So I was very resourceful. We, you know, pitched in one bedroom apartment, living on the floor, like just to be there with Elio Gracie. So yeah, one of my biggest lessons is work ethic. And there were expectations to work without expectations. We didn't get paid for what we did out there. We're just learning to to be able to do something in the future. So it was investment. I invested myself and time. And I wanted to, like, if I was going to teach this stuff, I wanted to be the real deal. I didn't want to be secondhand, thirdhand. I wanted to have, tell people, yes, I trained with the man who invented the style. That's, that was the story I wanted to tell. And the same thing in yoga. Yeah. Your time you spent out in India, what would you Mm -hmm. say your life lesson is there under Joyce? It's attention to detail and the balance of kindness and toughness to a a student because he was very tough. But at the same time, his heart was there to help you. It's don't be lazy, but at the same time, like nurturing is a complete balance of that from I was a little different than most students because he saw me as not that I saw myself this way, but he saw me as like a warrior that came out to to work with him because he knew I was wrestling there too. Mm -hmm. It was like this guy that's wrestling and fighting these people that like, it was all done in the same neighborhood in India, by the way, I was the, the wrestling gym was not too far from the the yoga spot, his yoga shala. So I would do that at six o'clock in the morning, be done by seven 30 eat. And then 12 o'clock, one o'clock go wrestle. And I did it every day. So it's crazy. I didn't do any jujitsu necessarily for a couple of months, but I did uh, enough grappling and I did I practice yoga. I was one of the only authorized instructors in America for a while for Inashtanga Yoga. There, were, there was nobody else. How did you connect with him? One of my friends, Joji, he set up the, the trip and I just went along. I didn't set up anything. He did everything for me. So mm-hmm. it was like, I didn't even have time to think. He's like, want to go? I was like, of course I want to go. Let's go. And then I wasn't even planning on wrestling there. I was planning on finding wrestling. And within the first two days of being there, I saw someone with a cauliflower ear and I knew the word for wrestling. And I, and I asked him, he was like, yeah, come to the gym. And it's very uncommon because it, it closed culture to, to, to foreigners to be able to wrestle in, the, in, in, their, in that cultural environment. I don't know anybody else in America that like went to India and wrestled. I don't even know one. I literally don't know one. It's like you and Matthew McConaughey. I think he writes in his book, he was in some foreign country and he started like wrestling the local tribesmen. And I think it's you and McConaughey. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't really know any, but it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot of skills and 
traditions and we weren't wrestling on the mat. We, we were wrestling on red clay. Like you clean the mats, so you have to turn over the clay at the end and decorate it. And it, it was pretty amazing sort of, maybe I'll send you some pics. Uh, right. if you oh, yeah. You basically discovered jujitsu. You go all in, you go out to the, the, the epicenter of Torrance at the time, the Academy, you're out in Hawaii with Helson. Then you find yoga, then you shoot out there and you're living with the founder, Pathopi Joyce. And then and fast forward a couple of years, I remember you took a trip to maybe Thailand, right? And then you're doing kickboxing, Matt, like you're doing a Thai boxing yeah, match. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, wh- where's that sense of adventure come from? That's going all in. I mean, that that's is, not sense of adventure. I, I, now I look back, it's just insanity. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's very, I do enjoy fighting. I don't know what it is about it. And I like the fact that there's sport fighting. It's not street fighting. And you go in there, do your thing. And you, then you shake hands with your opponent after. That's it's done, but you get it out. Yeah. So by nature, I believe my brother and I were like meant to fight just for where we came from. But yeah, I, I guess it is a sense of adventure, but I don't do any other adventurous stuff. I don't jump out of planes. I don't mm-hmm. ride motorcycles. I don't really do anything else. It's, my life is risky enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might have to explain that tiger picture on your Facebook page. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> well, everybody, listen, that's not unique, that picture by any means. Anybody that goes out to Thailand, they come back with a tiger picture. There, there are many tiger reserves. and Now, I, I need to put up the real picture. Because that's, that's me and my girl. We're laying on a tiger and it looks really cool, right? But that tiger also lifted up and turned its face into my face. And it was one of the most like chilling moments I ever had. A tiger's head. Literally, I have the picture of it too. You see my face like I'm scared to death. (laughs) Yeah, that thing was just, I'm like, man, what stops these things from just jumping on you and eating you? And whatever it is that they do, we experience a lot of fun tiger moments. But yeah, but by no means is that unique. At the time, I think it was because I put it up and no one had been there. But, you know. Anybody that has gone to Thailand has probably done that. Yeah. Fast forward a little bit here. So UFC one. So basically Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Horian brings it to America and then they start the UFC. And then UFC one, you were one of Hoist's training partners in UFC one. No, no. Were you, were, no. you were, you were, you, yeah. you were at UFC one though, right? Yeah, this is, I need someone to fix this up on. This is on Wikipedia. I get this all the time. No, I was a child at that point. There's no way I was Hoist Gracie's training partner. Like his training partners were beasts. Mm -hmm. I was so 93 or before that, I was only 16, 17 years old. There's no, he was a grown man. There's no way I was his training partner. Now, did I train with Hoist? Yeah. Was Hoist nice to me? Uh Uh-huh. He was nice to me in training. Now, when I became an adult, I was a different training partner. I was bigger. I was a man. You know what I mean? That's different. But no, not at that point. No way. I was his training partner after that, but not not when I was a kid. There's a 16 year old kid is not a 25 year old man. Understood. I saw that. So, yeah, around. I have to I have to clean that up. I yeah, saw that. I saw that a couple. I saw that partner. once or twice online. It's when the when didn't really match up because you were way younger at the time. Like I said, I, not that I was like a pushover at 16, but I wasn't. I wasn't making them sweat by any means. No way. Quick story. The first time I ever met you, I was really disappointed, but you turned it around really quick. I joined Maxercise. I think it's 98, maybe 99 and go there for a couple of weeks, couple of months, whatever. I'm at the Saturday class and Steve Maxwell walks in and he's like, hey, I'm no longer teaching this class. I want to introduce you to the person who's going to be teaching. He's like fresh from the academy, world champion, 
And I'm like, no, you're leaving Steve. I go, I was just like digging Steve. And all of a sudden this tall skinny dude walks in. It was you. And I'm like, yeah. and then after taking a class of you, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's awesome. I'm so glad he's here. <laughs> the first like 20 minutes, I'm like, Steve's not teaching this class anymore. I was so bummed. And then like 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, this guy's legit. Let's go. Like I was, I was so psyched. Yeah. Steve worked hard, man. So he needed a day off. So yeah. I, I, you know, I remember the Saturday class because I taught the intro and then the class after. And the Friday class. So my Friday class at seven o'clock, I've literally been doing that for 30 years that time. Really? Still, I teach it now. Yeah. I still teach it. Yep. That time slot has always been my time slot. Yeah. And the- Just a tradition for me to keep up now. Let's fast forward a little bit here. Right around 2002, 2003, when do you open balance? 2002. 2002, open balance. Having you, you remember the first time when you opened the doors to your own academy? Like it was yours? Yeah, it was more fear, fearful than a fight. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I moved along from exercise. They were like shifting all their stuff anyway. And 2002, the first place that I had rented, it was all set up. And then they called me after I had everything all planned and mats and painting and all that sort of stuff. They're like, yeah, we don't want to have you in here now. <laughs> so it took three months more for me to open than it was very frustrating. And I was actually depressed one day. I was riding my bike around looking for spots in Philly. And then I saw, you remember the first building on 24th street. Mm-hmm. I saw on the building for rent. I was like, what's for rent in here? And then I rode my bike around back and I went up mm-hmm. into the building yep. and I walked in, I walked into a woodworking place, which later became Balance Studios. And I was like, what is this? And then the owner happened to be there. They're like, you want to rent this? I'm like, I think so. And we did the deal. I told them that I'm dead broke. I was like, I don't have any money. It's like, I, we have to figure this out. And then, yeah. And then I, and then I rented it and man, getting all the wood like out of there, meaning mm-hmm. the, the dust yep. took weeks, took weeks before we could ever lay anything down. It was, it was a big risk. I never felt sick in my stomach about it every day. And how do we get this rent? Am I going to be any good? I felt like the teaching was fine because I was, I feel like I was definitely prepared to do it, but I was young, man, 26 years old. That's young to be doing something like that. That's but yeah, yeah, but it, it worked out and we worked hard and we have a you know really great team that helps. So I remember the 03, 04, when they had the, the original entry where you would walk up the steepest staircase mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. Yeah, called the back cave. Yeah, the back cave. It was dark. It looked like a mob hit. You walk in, being Italian, I'm looking for the tarp on the floor. And you walk in. You yeah, open Philly up- Mag. Yep. No, I was saying Philly Magazine did a did an article on us, Best of Philly. They did this article and they were like, yeah, you literally walk through the back cave. You have to find your way to the secret door. You knock and they open it up. And then they have this jujitsu world in there. It's this, and it's like the heaviest door to slide open. It's like this big barn door you slide open. Then you walk in and yeah. like, hey, how you guys doing? Like, and you know, this friendly atmosphere and yeah, amazing training. And you open it up and jujitsu world opens up. It's just so cool. Now I still remember yeah. it. was really cool. It was too cold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, the hottest I think I've ever been is like August in there with the hatch closed yeah. or even open. It doesn't matter. It's like well, we could tell everyone at that location there was no AC, no the heat was there, but it was we was a warehouse and we made it happen. And you had the sun dome, so <laughs> there was spots mm-hmm. on the mat. Like you always wonder why is no one rolling in this square with the sun dome? Yeah, the I know. It was like 120 instead of 110 on the mat. So it was awesome. It was like a magnifying glass, like directly <laughs> on that spot. 
That's all. Let's fast forward a little bit here. We're, we're talking jujitsu, yoga, going all in. Talking about the other side of your life. So you have yoga, you have mm-hmm. jujitsu, but you have that digital marketing strategy side. How's that start? Where's that come into play? Technology, like the fascination with technology started at birth. I talked to my mom about it. Like I was always attracted to like gadgets. I was always attracted to things that can simplify your life, technological advancement. I think one major like level up moment when I was in high school, I was fascinated with now it has a term remote worker. Mm -hmm. So I said, how do I do jujitsu, do some yoga, but at the same time play with technology. And that was like, it has to be on the road. It has to be, you know, on my own time and on the road because I was competing. I was always moving around. So I needed a portable computer, which is obviously these days standard. But back in the day in 91, I bought the very first MacBook, which was called PowerBook 100. I was a high schooler that had a better computer than my friend's dad's. You know, <laughs> And then I learned how to use that. And I was like, okay, I wanted to keep up with what was going on at the time. And obviously it was no really good internet. No, no. <laughs> There wasn't really anything that was uh, that would stand out besides doing your papers on there, doing some basic graphic design. I learned how to code a little bit. By no means am I a developer or I haven't kept up with my coding at all, but I know how to hire people now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always kept up with that. So my big question is, how is technology going to build business? How is it going to encourage sales and things like that? that? That became my fascination. So how is this piece of technology going to scale a business. 96, 7, 8, something like I bought another level up piece of technology, which was my Palm Pilot 5. Mm -hmm. And that was like the biggest thing at the time, if you can remember a Palm Pilot. Yeah. And what I started doing, maybe you were on there, I'm not sure, but I went around to everyone while I was traveling, say, hey, what's your email? This brand Mm -hmm. new thing called email. And uh, I collected everyone's email and then I would send emails about what I'm doing, the moves I'm doing or whatever. And that, that distribution list that I used to send out on Outlook and I was mm-hmm. crashing Outlook because I started sending too many emails yep. and then uh, these email services came out and then I used one of their services. I was actually one of the first person, people on board with the email services. I was one of the earliest email marketers accidentally, just because I was fascinated with it. Then I started my newsletter, Jiu-Jitsu Matrix. And Where's that, that went, Where's that nickname come Jiu-Jitsu from? Matrix? Yeah. That was, uh, so that was some funny thing. So I was at a competition. It started very, like even Maxwell had something to do with it. And it was for two reasons. It's because I always played with computers. Like I said, it fills in the matrix. Like where everyone was out partying, I had my computer open and I was playing. And then part two, like the part in the movie where he like bends back and the bullets go over his belly. Well, I was doing a yoga warm up. I was bending backwards and coming up. I was like stretching right before a match or like the matrix over there. Like people were... So I don't know, I stuck. People think, I was like, you know what? That sounds cool for a newsletter that's jujitsu meets technology. One of those things. So I always tried to connect with people with the latest tech with jujitsu through that either newsletter or that, that offering. So 3.0 comes out on my birthday this year on January 11th. Jujitsu Matrix 3.0. I, I need to keep that as a surprise. Okay. So how, how- all I'm saying, it's going to match. Well, it's matching what is going on with web 3.0. So web three is a very interesting, let's say futuristic proposition right now. And I am using that as a um, experimental tool with what we're doing at Ryzen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's my own little product and I'm going to say, Hey, look, I'm going to use this as a template, as an experiment and uh, see if I can do it for other people. 
One of the things I think you were a little ahead of the crowd. I think sometimes you can be too early. Before Facebook, it's probably been about maybe the MySpace time. You came up with Jiu-Jitsu Share. I remember going on that. Social network, yeah. It was just all Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> moves. And then you'd be a member and you could share your moves, and right? Way yeah. before, fa- it was yeah, before we had Facebook. The- before Facebook, yeah. And I forget how many great years we had, but that was an amazing kind of journey in tech. Maybe six years of use mm-hmm. before Facebook kicked our butt. Like one group in Facebook now beats the crap out of that old site. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Like a jujitsu was- share group. But there were like 15, 20,000 people on there communicating. It was a very like, it, it was used. And then what we built was easily overcome by Facebook. And many of the forums, the jiu-jitsu, everything disappeared from that era. Yeah. But yeah, and I built that with my own hands, built the network through my jiu-jitsu matrix newsletter. It was very easy. People on the newsletter had somewhere to see faces. Instead of one-way communication, they were able to talk to each other. And the same thing you would do on any social network these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were having fun. We were trying to, we saw into the future a little bit, but the niche and, and, and the capital requirement to, to really go forward with that, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it at that point because I know we would get crushed. Before we move on to the next part. So Rise and Metrics, like how do you spend most of your day? What's a day at Rise and Metrics look like for you? So it's very much like the Joe Rogan podcast. So by day, I, I'm on all tech and anything Ryzen related or investment related. And then when the clock passes around like 12, one o'clock, I'm all in-house jujitsu stuff. I deal with anything that needs to be dealt with balance and I'm in there teaching at night. So it's a doable day, but it can only be done with great partnerships and great staff. So I can't do it any other way. With balance, how many affiliates? As of this month, it'll be Forty-four. So we have two more getting on board this month. Really cool. I gotta give a little shout out to the affiliate in Upper Dublin Ambler at Araxis. Randy. Man, I tell you what, for Christmas, I couldn't ask for a better present a year or two ago when you said an affiliate is opening up in the suburbs like five minutes from my house. They're doing great things. It's there, more man. encouraging to train uh, <laughs> if uh, it's five <laughs> minutes from your house. It's great stuff. Now really cool. I shift gears a little bit to a little part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. How about looking uh-huh. back of all the things, the yoga, the, the digital marketing, jujitsu, growing up second and south, what was the biggest challenge you ever faced? Probably myself. So you, you can see my varied interests, you know, what my buddy told me the other day, you could pick at any one of those things. And then if one person does it in a lifetime, it's pretty interesting. And I'm like, man, I just, I loved yoga. I love jujitsu and I love all things technology. And I figured out a way to incorporate them all in my life and incorporate those pieces in each of them. So the technology is what scaled balance from what it was to what it is. Even in yoga, it allowed me to share with more people around the planet with the Yoga for Fighters DVD and, and, and app than I could if I taught every single day for 10 years straight. I reached more people that way. I learned how to use the things that I'm interested in all in the same way. So my biggest hurdle is to get over myself and uh, just to get up in the morning and do the things I'm supposed to. So yeah, every day I do it, I, I try to beat the fill of yesterday. One of the podcasts you're on, doing research for this, you had a great quote I wrote down. It says, if you can get by yourself, the rest of the world is easy. I fight my instinct to chill out on the couch and rest mm-hmm. all day Absolutely. and just not think, but all this stuff will creep in. And I'll think like, we didn't do this piece. We didn't do that piece. I work very well with teams. Mm-hmm. So I know how to live in that world. And I really appreciate other people's skills. Just being human, our greatest strength 
is definitely our biggest weakness because let's say you're really focused and you're really engaged in say jujitsu or whatever your job is. There's a point where you have to shut that down and be with your family. At some point, you just yeah, can't, yeah, you can't yeah. ignore your family for your work. But then again, there's a point where you got to go to work and move your career forward. Maybe balance is a fitting word to use. Mm-hmm. Where you have to know where to spend. Okay, this is like you said, at 12 o'clock, you shut down, rise and it's, just, it's yeah. balance time. You have to yeah, almost yeah. compartmentalize, say, I'm all in in this next hour, like living in the present moment. The next hour, I'm all this. But knowing it like three, four o'clock, I'm all that and being able to shift gears and not be thinking of mm-hmm. the yesterday or four hours from now to be in the moment. Also, too, I'll just tell you this pandemic messed up all my systems and automations. Okay. I live in a world of systems and automations, which allows you to have your time. So I have time with my daughter, I have time. I have that time because everything is done, whether I have most of my stuff scaled with technology. So I know things are automated and happening. And then uh, this pandemic threw it all off. And I realized how much time it would take away from my day because I got back in there. I built websites again. I did email marketing campaigns again. I spoke with almost every person in my gyms on the phone at least once or twice during that whole thing. It was just I never worked so hard. in the. I mean, last two years, I never worked so hard in my life and nothing was even happening. I was just trying to keep what we had and push into the future. Time, yeah, I, I had less time in the last two years than I had, you know, in all, all my other time mm-hmm. because it was not easy, but we we definitely are pulling through it. Looking back for COVID-19, so here you are, you established balance. You said you had about 42, 43 affiliates. You have rising metrics. You have all this going on. Then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, 100-year global pandemic comes in and just shuts down the world. What's, yeah. Looking back, what's the biggest lesson you took from the COVID-19 shutdown? Biggest lesson? So I think jujitsu and fighting prepares you for conflict and chaos. So part of my brain was just like, here's another fight. I'm ready to rock. Like I got up and, but oh, about 18 months into it, I burn out, man. I just like crumbled and burn out and just everything that was like laid on my lap. I just, man, you can, you'll hear it from my partner and my family. I was just mentally just wiped. So when it first happened, I said, oh, we got a fight on our hands. We have to figure this out. And I was high energy, got things done. And luckily my office is close and I, I, I figured it out as best as I could. It took me about six months to realize that we're not going to be going back to the same world. It took me about six months. I was thinking for the first six months, okay, it's going to be open again, business as usual, blah, blah, blah. Six months, I was like, you know what? This is not happening. So I have to you know, reorganize the way we're doing business at Ryzen, meaning are we going to have people sitting in an office like we prepped or are they going to be remote workers? We have majority remote workers now. And then at the studio, things have shifted. Yeah, it took me a long time to fight with myself to you know, realize it's not going to be the same. So th- that was my biggest lesson is that something like that. I, I live in a world of systems and automation and didn't work. You know, I had to reorganize everything. So okay. uh, big nightmare. Another battle if you're ready for combat. Sometimes you can't <laughs> do what you want. You have to do what they gave you, like you do in the jujitsu mat. Like you have to yeah. what they give yeah. you, not what you want to do, but... It gets back to that quote you said, if you can get by yourself, the rest of the world is easy. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. Now you have the, the COVID shutdown, you have rising metric, you got balance, all the stuff going on. When you have to clear your mind and recharge mm-hmm. your body, what do you do? I, I never miss my practice. Could be the super lightest practice in the world, or I'm standing on my head for an hour. I don't miss ever. I haven't missed ever. Even I've been laid up in the bed sick. I'm still like extending my legs, I get conscious. I'm breathing consciously. 
things like that. A hundred percent allows me to just sit back and witness what I'm doing and what's going on. And even witnessing my own thoughts to question why I'm thinking this or that. Yeah. And it's been my way since I was a child. Yeah. It keeps my perspective fresh and respectful to other people. And it's a good practice. You got to be your best for you first before you can be your best for everyone else. Makes sense? It's almost yeah, like I, yeah. Airplane, like that. when the masks come down, you got to put your mask <clears> on first if you want to save five other people. Yeah. Know. And the pandemic. So it also proves that too. Because I'm so used to like someone calls me and say, hey, I, I want to help people. That's just like in my nature. I have a hard time saying no. And uh, what I realized through this pandemic, like your cup has to be full before you start pouring into others. And I think that's the most important way. And I understand not everyone can get their cup full, but I like to live like that. I like, you know, I'm okay. I can help other people really easily that way. But my cup was not full through this whole thing. And I, I had to say no to a lot of people reaching out to me for different reasons. I'm just like, and they're used to it. And I think they got upset with me because they're used to me like reacting. I'll do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I was like severely burnt out and down and was not the best time in my life. But like anything else, any other loss in a competition, which competition and rolling in jujitsu teaches you about crisis and, and, and conflict every single day you're on that mat. So I was used to it, but I wasn't used to like a year and a half match. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, <laughs> you know, and I tried every day to, to just look at the brighter side. I am more positive than I am negative. Like you get pounded every day with negative. I heard something negative every single day for almost two years. Something negative came on my phone. I was just expecting something negative. We had a lot of friends, family pass, and I got those calls several times and that just brings you down in the dirt and people sick and neighbors moving and just all this chaotic stuff that just is the world ever going to get better or go back. So I tried to stay as positive as possible. Even a positive person, I crashed, man. Like I, I tried my hardest and I just had a hard time picking up the phone for a while. I had a hard time until I kind of, I turned the corner a little bit too. I, I, I shifted my brain a little bit. I started saying no to a lot of things. Yep. And and secondly, the world started coming back on in both balance and rise in metrics. I have the greatest partners. So they picked up in a lot of places where I felt like I was going to drop the ball. And now I'm back in order. And we have new business models in each of the each of the businesses, and and they're actually great. Synthesizing a couple of things you said there. One, you had mm -hmm. the self awareness to realize it was just like a bit overwhelming. Like you had so much going on that takes self awareness. But also, two, it goes back to that sign you have on all your uh, academies. Please leave your ego and shoes at the door. Enter with the beginner's mind. You had to drop the ego where you couldn't be everything to everyone. You had to start saying no to people. You couldn't say yes right. to everything. And no is a complete sentence. And a lot of people don't like no. And it's, but it's a complete sentence. And sometimes your best life is found by saying no, but it's not like what you do, but what you decide not to do. You say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. I find if you have goals or you understand where you're going to go with your roadmap, it's easier to say no. You know what to say no to because what's not guiding you in that direction. If you have that as your goal and if, that's the only way because there were moments where I was wandering and I don't know where I'm going to go because I don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the options are. So I had a wandering moments in my life, but I was still focused on finding a roadmap. So I said yes to a lot of things just to experiment. But then now I know exactly what, you know, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Yep. 
And saying no is easier, but it's a respectful no. And I make it known to the people who ask these things that if I were to do this with you or do this thing for you, I wouldn't do it 100%. So I'm not Mm -hmm. even going to touch it. I wouldn't be reliable in that in that way. And I'm also very realistic about my time with others. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do something, people will know. They will get upset for 30 seconds, but they'll, they'll understand. Looking back of all the things mm-hmm. you've done, is there a failure that set you up most? Do you have a favorite failure that propelled you forward? I would say I have a lot of like mini failures and things that I forgot were failures. <laughs> It's like you do jujitsu for long enough, you get caught and you get bad positions. And that's just like a microcosm for life. Yep. And, and also I've dabbled so much in other things and have failed, but I always like in my head, I'm like, that's not even my main thing anyway. So I'm not even worried about it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm able to get up after a failure. You know, how, you know, the saying in jujitsu, you don't lose, you learn. Mm-hmm. But if you're not willing to learn and you take a loss, you could be, you know, you can dwell in that forever. I gave a suggestion to someone the other night. I'm like, you got caught in that move. I was like, you dwell on it until you go to sleep, but you leave it on your, your bedside table. Don't go to bed with that. Mm-hmm. And so you sh- I, I really believe this. Even though I did not take my own advice to this pandemic, I did not sleep well because I had problems in my head that I didn't know how to resolve. And I am like a problem solver to a fault. I, I, like, I think I can solve everything, which I can at least think about puzzles. And like I said, I'm the CSO of my company. I'm the strat- chief strategist. So my job is to connect dots and figure out problems. So yeah, I had sleepless nights, but I believe that whatever that is troubling you, put it on the bedside and pick it up in the morning if you can. Mm-hmm. That's a huge skill. Just don't go to, obviously in an argument, that's not a, never a good thing with your loved ones. And then secondly, like something that's troubling you, generally I see things as a game anyway. Sure. So it seems silly to go to bed with a problem with a game. Jiu-jitsu is a game. The landscape of tech is a game. It's a bunch of numbers. So I don't think it's it's not life-threatening. So we're actually, it's okay. But that's my strategy. So I don't want to go to bed with these complicated problems in my head. And I think it's a good recommendation for anybody listening to to, to think that way. So my biggest failure, I, I don't really know what it is. It's probably, probably clueless. I probably don't even know that I lost something. So you minimize your maximum regret. That's mm-hmm. min yeah. max theory. Yeah. So I, I've lived by that a gentleman, Russell Redenbaugh, who I just recently referenced on my LinkedIn page. I don't know if you can link to that post. He's been a mentor, but he offered that idea to me when I was 16 years old be, before my car accident. So you minimize your maximum regret. So when you're able to do that, you have no failures. It's just you had a life. Yeah. Even my car accident, which I thought would set me back, but I was like, I, I want to minimize this and, and run forward, even though I do feel that every day. Absolutely. But I think that that's a that's a big one. The three main things we're speaking of are jujitsu, yoga, digital marketing, rise of metrics. But it's all about mm-hmm. connecting the dots and figure out problems. Yep. It's just it's just yeah. It's, like, it's almost playing. They do this, you do that, you take what they yeah, give you. I, like two generals, war is a game. It's strategic. Generals don't get their hands dirty. They work with connecting dots and maps and things like that. So I, I think I'm the most useful at, I'm not saying I'm a master or general, but I'm saying my I think that was just born into a brain and a body that understands strategy over anything else. I, I like to put myself in a certain position. I think I'm pretty good at it. And then, like I said, I could take the ego out of it. I don't have to be, people don't have to call me uh, master Phil in jujitsu or I, I just, I want to lead people to, to, to victory. So I equate to in rise of metrics, 
leading our leading our clients to success is the same thing as leading a fighter to success. It's tactics. It's like I can see strengths and weaknesses in both tactics. And it's constantly changing. And both of these things are technologies. Jiu-jitsu is a technology. Yoga is a technology. All computer technology influences commerce and business. So I see these things as the same. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy both. I, I, one of the reasons why I call my studio Balance Studios, I appreciate tradition. I appreciate evolution. You know, And I think both should be studied. And there's wow. something to be... No, I'm just saying, I think it should be... I, I think each should be a study. And it shouldn't be like hard-headed about being either like super progressive with tech or forget about what's been done in the past. Mm-hmm. People forget sometimes. And it's the same thing with yoga and it's the same thing with jujitsu and it's the same thing in coding I see and it's the same thing in digital marketing. If you're thinking in the old world today in the TikTok era, you're going to close your doors with digital marketing agencies. You're done. Mm-hmm. Now, if you forget how marketing was practiced in the past, I think it's also a limitation. Like print ads are a thing of the past, but I think they're also the thing of the future because of integration with QR codes and NFC tabs where you can tap your phone on a piece of paper and pop something up on your phone. That's my latest fascination. The intersection of the real world and the digital world where we're coming into the the era of metaverse. And I think that's also fascinating, but it's not here yet. Mm -hmm. But interacting with your environment, your real physical environment with tech, which make take you out of tech, which is also an interesting idea because I think we have too many screens in front of us. You spoke about generals and strategy. Is what is mm-hmm. there a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? It's hard to say because I pulled so much from so many. From a, in, an investor st- status, Think and Grow Rich yep. and uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a huge one for me because... In a book, they, they he outlined what my dad had been talking about since I was born. Going from a great employee to a perfect self-employed person to a business owner that creates automations and processes to becoming an investor in companies. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing. And probably hanging on the investor side, preparing the next 20 years for that because you know, my bones are going to be broken and to compete with everybody in jujitsu all the time. So I see my role there changing. The digital marketing thing, the company that we have is everybody does what they're supposed to do there. Mm -hmm. And it's very seamless and automated. and It works. So my job there doesn't take too much time. And these days I look at companies literally every day, see um, what to invest in. Getting back to jujitsu for a second about as you get older, uh, you said bones broken every day. How do you handle, say you teach a class, you got 50 people in class and Mm -hmm. then Everybody wants to roll with you. And then you're basically everyone's super. When you go in, everyone's yeah. giving you their A game, like these 25-year-old ex-wrestlers that are maybe as big as mm-hmm. you. And like, yeah. how, like, how do you roll with them, but make sure that you can get up the next morning where you're, everybody's coming at you 90 miles an hour. I mean, how, how do you handle that and, and for longevity purposes? You just tap them all out. You just yeah. go through the whole room, beat them all up, get them tired and go home. That's it. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. So like I I have a running joke because I'm 46 years old. I've been in the game for 35 years. I understand how to go on autopilot because I believe jujitsu is a technology, it's a system. So if I follow the system, I I, and it keeps working. It just keeps working over and over again. So I'm able to still like work out with 25-year-old phenoms, keep up. Do I get them every time? No, but I keep up with them. Like I'm not failing yet, but I don't like rely on my body right now because I know at some point, I don't know when that is. I, I 
So I, back in the day, I was like, I'm done at 40 years old. I'm going to retire. That's it. Now I'm 46. I'm like 50. I'm going to retire. That's going to be it. And then might be 60. I don't know. I have no idea. So right now I'm retiring at 50. I'm done. So four more years. That may not be true either. These fighters come back. I don't know. Like I'm I, I do love that side of my world. I may just keep on training until I pass, whatever. It has to be systematic. It has to be respectful to your body. You have to be reali- realistic with your attributes of your body and brain. It comes with, if I didn't have 35 years in, and if I didn't work from a place of injury, meaning 17 years old, I got hurt. I did I had to develop an old man's game at 17. That's my joke, but it's true. So I didn't reducing impact, reducing my power. I don't have to rely on power to perform constant analyzing technique and new things and old things that'll fit into my game. That's what I said. I'm in the game and I'm still studying every single day. I learn every day, 35 years in. So any white belts out there, if you feel like, like you learned everything, I don't think so. (laughs) No. (laughs) And then that mindset influences everything else I do. It influences the tech side of me. Like I want to learn the latest moves. Like I'm always interested in the latest moves. I'm very up and current with the latest digital marketing and the latest opportunities too. And that's my non-physical world where I don't have to get up and fight a bunch of people, even though we're fighting millions of people online. Our clients are in competition with millions of people online, but Competition's not new to me. I wake up in competition. Yeah. I think they like that too. Many of them, we have like larger clients that are, they just love the fact that I have a jujitsu mind too, that I'm like, they're like, our competition's doing this. I'm like, all right, let's get them. Let's go after them. Let's be in that space. And they like that, but I'm doing it respectfully and with technique, not with brute force, with, with a strategic point of view. So that's, I try to be strategic in my own approach to jujitsu so I can hang on the mat longer. I do enjoy teaching too. So yeah, I want to share that. You mentioned something about the jujitsu mindset. My little personal journey, like jujitsu is not a technique. To me, it's more of a mindset and a lifestyle than anything else. It, it focuses the way you think about operating system. It's an operating system. It's an operating yeah. system and it's the way you approach life. And it's, it yep. affects the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you treat others, the way you handle well, that's problems. Where- yeah. That's where jujitsu matrix came from. The scene in the matrix where he puts jujitsu in his head. Uh-huh. Yeah. With a little chip. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that, that, that's the idea. That's the whole idea. So that's also where it came from. I wish I could do that. We would have all black belts in the school. I would just put a chip in their head. Oh. I would have the highest level training partners and I would keep them one bit lower than <laughs> me. Lower. So I can still, yeah, just one, one chip lower. Nah, you don't learn anything if another person doesn't come with skills. And that's another thing that I've learned too. Like when people are great at something, if you don't appreciate it. I appreciate my competition. I appreciate what they do. I get excited and I go, if they do something really well, I'm like, oh man, they got to that first, but I appreciate it. And I try to like pull that, whatever they did, I pull it out of my own brand, my own world. I try to see what they did, appreciate it and try to move a piece of that into my own world. So it's a game, man. Mm-hmm. You mentioned different projects you're working on now. As you look out into 2022, what's the most mm-hmm. exciting project you're working on now? With all the stuff, you- Two of them I can't talk about right now. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So we're, we're locked in some NDAs. All I can tell you is that they're in direct uh, alignment with the latest web experiences that are coming up, that it would be anything web 3.0, web three. Also it's called anything blockchain NFT based. It's very early, but I have some cool stuff and I have it in every part of my world. I have it in my jujitsu world coming out. Okay. I have it in my yoga world coming out and I have it in our digital marketing offers. 
We have a partnership with a very beautiful NFT crypto-based company that produces some of the best digital products on the planet and uh, has not been publicized yet, but it's the future looks so interesting. I'm actually excited for it. So I always say what is happening now, I may have said it at the beginning of this, this interview, but like where I am now is where I wish I was when I was 17. I wish the world was this way when I was 17 and any 17 year old out there, I'm jealous of like your age right now and what's coming up. But here's the other thing, the competition in this world, that world, it's, there are sharks everywhere, like in this game. So it has to be analyzed properly. Everybody's buying Bitcoin, but they don't know why they're buying Bitcoin. So I, I don't sure. make recommendations for or against anything. I don't you know, offer financial advice in that regard, but it's just been an interesting world. So yeah, so my excitement that I'm able to apply tech, yep. digital marketing, the latest into my jujitsu and yoga world to help people around the world. That's basically why I do all that stuff. Cool. You mentioned how your worlds collide. You said there's sharks in the digital world. There's sharks everywhere when you go on the mat and balance. There's sharks everywhere. Yeah, in the that's, world. Uh, it's, that's <laughs> the thing. I'm like used to like, yeah, that's one thing I bring to the table. I literally sat at a table, digital marketing, new client. And I usually keep my mouth shut because my job is to listen and to build strategies around what I brought in. That was being introduced around the table, and they're like, Phil, CEO, CSO, Ryzen Metrics, they do a great job. And he's like, and I'll kick your butt if you mess with them. Like, they, some of these companies actually really, like, I've done consulting for almost 20 years in the digital marketing world, yep. and I kept it all private, and I worked pretty much exclusively with NDAs with the world that I was working in. But I don't really talk about that world because, like I said, of the NDA. But, and I never really brought my jujitsu world into the, the consulting world, the digital consulting world, because I was just like, man, these two things are separate. Mm -hmm. But now with Ryzen, <laughs> I can't hide it because people will Google me in three seconds and they see me as the, as the jujitsu dude online. And I did it on purpose. I didn't put the digital marketing world out there. I wanted 100% of my, my clicks and my SEO to move towards jujitsu because that business needs it the most. Your organic sort of links and all that sort of stuff. But now I'm fully in publicly in each of these businesses. Cool. Wrapping up here, a couple fun, two fun mm -hmm. questions jujitsu wise. If you could spend a day with any instructor, alive or dead, who would it be? Man, I'm very influenced by wrestling. There's a like, I'd love a lesson from Dan Gable. And wrestling sure. over jujitsu. I would love that. And if anybody could set that up, man, I, I would be uh, so happy to do that and to share that. And if there's something I could do for him. Yeah. He's a super great guy. Uh, I met him one time at Penn and uh, he, he didn't know me from anyone. I shook my hand and moved on, but I'm just like, I was at a clinic that he did at, at Penn and it was so cool. So um, cool. That's yeah, that, that would be a good one. And I would rewind and, and pick Elio Gracie's brain even more, mm -hmm. man. I, I like, that's one of my biggest regrets. Now he was very great with us, take us on the side of the mat and show us moves and show us how to teach it better. All that sort of stuff. I wish I could have been like around that even younger. So that's another one. I would have wanted that more. I heard one story about Elio and you're drinking watermelon juice and he chops you in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marco Perrazzo, one of our black belts and friends, he tells the story the best because he witnessed it and he saw how it was provoked. Let me see if I can recall this because I was the one that got hit. So my, my brain cells went away when I got smashed. So Elio, so I'm six, two, Elio Gracie was about five, 10, 11, something like that. Right. And at the time, I guess he was in his seventies, eighties at the Gracie Academy in California. 
So our job, part of what we did, we worked at the juice bar, made watermelon shakes and banana watermelon cream cheese shakes, if you're into that. And uh, we were all gathered around and his two uh, oldest grandsons were there, Huron and Henner, Gracie, and Marco Perrazzo and myself and maybe some other people. And someone was joking around with Elio Grace. They're like, yo, Phil said that this move doesn't work. And it was like called the hair chop where you comb your hair back and you chop someone in the neck. And then he started getting upset and he was like, yes, he pulled his hand back and whack (laughs) hits me right in my neck. I'm like, no joke. 80 year old man cracks you, hits you in the right place. Still, it's a stunning sort of thing. And I was like, he was like, does it work now? I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 it works. It definitely works. If I could say anything about Elio Gracie, he was the real deal. He was absolutely the real deal in a smaller body. Just, he is a real fighter, like in life and always wanted a challenge and just an interesting, cool guy. And like I said, I, I am completely still thankful for the time we had with him. He, he went out of our his way to work with us a little extra all the time because we were like these Philly guys and fighters and he loved it. I would, I would have loved more time with him before we actually had the time, like when we were children, a little bit more, but we got his influence through his sons, through our instructors and videos and things like that. But he was excellent at what he did. It was precise the way he taught. I know when he was in the 70s and 80s, I know he was so angry that he wasn't younger, that he just wanted to get in and work and do things. You know what I'm saying? I could just see that in his eyes. Like he wanted to just like get in there and fight with us all the time. But he did. But he, I, I could just see he wanted to engage harder. He lived that life until he passed away in his 90s. He oh, lived the jujitsu life. What a gift all the time you spent with him and, and all yeah. the, the found That's amazing. From your perspective, What's the mm-hmm. perfect first jujitsu class for someone? Say someone that has no training, they come in. What techniques do you cover? What's the perfect like first lesson? So I, I think it would be, so I am in the midst of designing my web 3.0 beginner program. So this is an integration of tech and real life classes. I'm literally doing this right now. So I can give you that piece from balance. That's what I'm doing. It's home study. And real life study, they'll be integrated. And remember what I was telling you about integrating digital with real life. You're going to see these things around my studios very quickly. So it's just on online and, and offline sort of education. Mm-hmm. Feeding the operating system, which is our brain, the pieces that you need to do the physical stuff, meaning like before you get on the mat, you need to know this has nothing to do with your power, has nothing to do with strength. If you have strength behind your technique, it's like unstoppable, but you're learning techniques to overcome someone bigger and stronger. Like you would build strategies around techniques or coding to overcome something, a problem. The problem is something generally bigger or stronger than you. If someone's like not as strong and not as uh, powerful, they're not a problem. Integrating that. So just, okay. So here's a couple. Breathe. Make sure you're breathing through the whole process. And once you get on the mat, work out with something, you'll, you'll find out why. Part two, when you spar, it's not about winning, especially not when you're a newcomer. It's not about winning. It's not about overcoming. It's not about hurting someone. It's not about that. It's about learning on the mat. That's a big detail. So you can learn that on a video. You can learn that on the metaverse in four-dimensional sort of environment. You can walk around with an instructor. I could show things. It's really crazy what's coming up for educational tools. I think the best method is an integrative sort of model where you're learning on and off the mat for a newcomer. 
also ego doesn't work in jujitsu. Leave it alone. Bad attitudes don't work so well either. You can learn that off the mat. So I think all of these things, and I can teach anybody the techniques, mm -hmm. but now the ideal class is learning ground up. Like we learn, start standing in base and, you know, then learn off your feet and then go back to the ground. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good approach because the highest use for this stuff would generally be like in the beginning on the street. So if mm -hmm. someone had a street encounter, let's prepare them for that street encounter so they don't get hurt on the street if they ever have to use this. Mm -hmm. And then part two would be, let's bring them into the competitive world or like rolling every day on a mat with someone not punching you. Mm -hmm. So that too. So it's, it's finding the balance between those two extremes in a uh, very uh, digestible half a year course. Really cool. When that comes out, that's going to be very helpful. I yeah, we're this. trickling it out. We're, we're trickling it out now. So it's, it's cool. To summarize there, basically breathe, leave your ego at the door, have a good attitude, patience. And imagine your jujitsu timeline is from whenever you start to whenever. For me, it's like when I die, probably. Yeah, sure. you know? But the timeline is infinite. It's just I'm just going to keep going and, because I like the lifestyle, not because I'm just trying to acquire something to hurt somebody. It's not, mindset, not a good idea. Lifestyle. Mindset and the lifestyle. Yeah. That, those are the real, that's your real receipt that you get from training because at some point, we're all going to be like crippled jujitsu players, but we're still going to be like good people, caring people that help other people. That's the ultimate goal there is to have it trickle out into your life to lead you to your own personal successes. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Wrapping up here, last few questions. What mm -hmm. values do you try to pass on to your students? Patience. That's probably my top offer because I'm almost too patient sometimes. So if I can give people like, well, like where are you rushing to? Mm -hmm. What's the rush? I really want to know sometimes what, what someone's rushing to. There's really no need. Take your time. Sit back. The breathing aspect, pair your breathing with your like passions. Meaning if you love jujitsu, get your breathing pattern in alignment with your jujitsu. Same thing with your yoga and same thing with your life. Because mm -hmm. um, we hold our breath sometimes in bad moments. And that's exact moment where we need. I, I saw my, during this pandemic, I saw my breathing pattern change. For two reasons, the mask wearing, not that I'm anti-mask, but it does yep. impede your breathing method. And also with the anxiety associated with the shift in life. And the toughest people on the planet have expressed to me the weakest thoughts over this time too. And I was so surprised. I know some of the toughest people on our planet and they were just doubting the whole world and just not really not in a good place. So you could be physically dominant and a, a badass, but inside you can crumble. Yeah. No, so not. we need both. That's that's where balance is. So the in and the out is is uh, strong. Yeah, patience and breathing. It's fantastic. All right, last two questions. We started off you telling us about your childhood on Second and South Street, around ten years old. Your mom, your dad, your brother. If you could go back to that dinner table on Second and South when you were around ten years old, mm -hmm. what would you want to tell the people around that table? I don't like tomatoes, so I don't, I'm going to stop eating these tomatoes that I was forced to eat. I don't like tomatoes. So that's pretty much it. I wouldn't take it back for the world. Honestly, my dad's lessons in life were not apparent because he was pretty strict with us. And I'm like a free bird. I want to relax, do my own thing sometimes. But his messages started to sink in when I opened balance. So I wish I got his messages a little bit earlier, but it wasn't meant to be. I, I lived what I lived. And my mom's messages are always the same. They're caring. They're like the way we deal with students. You can have some of the toughest people on the planet, but everybody has their own thing going on inside their head. So you have to be respectful. And that comes from my mom. Serving others was a big message from my mom's side and my dad's side. My dad had restaurants and 
stores where customer service was top, but that's like customer service is a form of empathy, yep. you know? So the empathy side was definitely my mom and then the business side, service side, my dad. Mm-hmm. And then my brother has just been my buddy and partner for my whole life. None of that. And I have a sister too, but she like that table you were talking about, she wasn't there because she's nine years older than us. So she was out living her life, but her mm-hmm. influence is infinite too. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Last question. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would mm-hmm. that quote or motto say? All right. I'm going to tell you something. And if any of my high school friends are listening, I just want to clarify something. In my yearbook, you see my 17-year-old face and it says one word. It says, beware. Beware. Now, I con- no, no, that's not, that's not it. I consciously wrote B, B-E. You know how you had to do it in the boxes? Mm-hmm. And I was very conscious of this. So I have no doubt that it was not my mistake. I put B E space aware, be aware. So build consciousness any way you can. But what's funny is that everyone thought I was like a terrorist or something when that came out and I did not write that. And I actually still have the piece of paper to prove it, that I did not write that in my yearbook. I wrote be aware, not beware. Isn't that crazy? Beware. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be aware of what? Beware of what? That sounds so threatening. That's in my yearbook. Yeah, but be aware. It would be, I don't know where I would put that. Maybe on my hand. I don't know. I have no tattoos. I'm still scared of that. But be aware would definitely be one. And I'll give you another one. I have a little piece of paper that's been up on my shelf since I was a little kid. And it says, why not? Question mark. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm like, man, I have this interest, I have this, and I'm like, oh, these limitations will keep me away from that. But I go back to the why not moments. The books start with why. Yeah. Cynic. Outstanding book. When we write narratives for companies, they're like establishing their brand narrative and their brand voice and stuff like that. I put together two questions. What is your why? And what is your why not? Mm-hmm. So what is your why? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And then what was your why not moment? Let's just do this. How, let's just dive in and let's just serve people in this arena or that arena. Mm-hmm. So the why not moment is as important as the why. Those are two kind of things that will kick me in my butt, get me up in the morning and push forward. My point is have gratitude for what's in there. Be aware of this exact present moment. That's what I mean there. That's you know okay. yeah. more of the yoga side of me, but yoga, the point is to bring yourself to the present moment or just be in the present moment or appreciate that you were in the present moment when you got there. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. if you don't operate in the present moment, your arm gets taken, your neck gets caught. They're very interesting experiences in the present. Now, sometimes we have to drag ourselves back into the present moment and that's where that be aware should land. I have that grappling match with myself sometimes. So. I think we all do, but be aware and why not? I think that is about as good a spot as any to wrap this up. Phil Megaris, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I appreciate you and everything you've done and to thank you for everything personally. If our listeners are looking for you and what you do online with Balance and Rising, where can they find you? PhilMegaris.com. So you go there, you'll see everything that I do. It's an easy little site just to go to, to see all my links and social and everything. So it's right on, if you can spell my last name. (laughs) 
So philmiglerese.com and my brother's ricardomiglerese.com. So you can see what he does as well. I will put that in the show notes, philmiglerese.com. Phil, thank you. It's been an honor and I appreciate you, man. All right, Joe. Thank you. This is uh, this is great to do, and I appreciate you.